to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm hearing a little feedback. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to finish the chapter. Uh, we're going to look at primarily verses 14 to 22. Um, this is sort of part two of what we started last week. We started a message called The God Who Reconciles and Brings Peace. And I want to focus uh, on this section. Actually, from verse 11, let's do that. Verse 11, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Earlier in the, the chapter, he was addressing believers and said, before Christ, you were dead. You were spiritually dead. But now in Christ, you were made alive. Uh, that's, a true, that's a true statement of anyone who doesn't know Christ is spiritually dead. Uh, it is a uh, um, uh, doctrine uh, that is taught in Scripture called regeneration. Being born again is how we refer it. And Christ made us alive. He took us from death to life. Here in this section, he's going to start addressing the Gentile believers in the church at Ephesus, which uh, apparently there was a lot. Uh, Ephesus, of course, was a Gentile city and was primarily a place of worship of the goddess Artemis or Diana. In fact, one of the ancient wonders of the world was the temple to Artemis or Diana, and, uh, um, and so it was a, a great wonder. So uh, he addresses them. Uh, he says, formerly, that you guys were um, separate from, from Christ. He says, you were uh, called or uncircumcision by the circumcision. There was a division. You had Jew and Gentile. There was a division between two, two peoples. Jews would, would categorize people into two categories, Jews or Gentiles. I said this last week, the uh, Greeks would say you were Greek or barbarian. Everybody, everyone has a way of, you know, we, we have a way of categorizing people. We sort of, we sort of see somebody or meet somebody and instantly we, we put them in a camp. We put them in a category. And depending on the category they're in, determines whether or not we want to relate to them or not. Some we can relate to and some we can't. And so we have a tendency of doing that really, really quickly. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's what we do, right? Um, well, here in this, what was going on here was, was the Jewish people were really looking down on the Gentile people, even as Jewish believers were, to the point where they felt, um, like the Gentile believers felt like second-class citizens. And so Paul is now, he's going to address this and say, you know, you guys were separate from Christ. You were, past tense, but now you're not, you know? And he wants them to realize that and here's the thing about our church, and I think this is what the Lord wants to lead us in our church, is there will come people who come into this church who are not in our camp, so to speak, who are not in what we think they should be, right? We have in our mind what a person who comes to church should look like, right? How they should dress, how they should behave, how they should smell, how they should, how they should speak, right? And we have our little categories in here. And God might bring somebody that is from the fringes of life into those doors 
And it's going to be up to us of how we respond to that. Not everyone who comes to church really has been walking with Christ a long time, right? You have those, you have three categories of people who come to church. You have church members, right? Those who are in the inner circle, right? They've been walking with Jesus, they, they, they smell like a Christian, they talk like a Christian, they, they speak Christianese, right? They, they're faithful, they're giving, they're, they're here, right? That's one, there's a member. Then you have those who just, who come and they attend. And they're sort of, they're sort of involved, they're, they're testing out the waters. They're not, they're sort of, they're there, but they're not quite making the plunge. Then you have the third kind of person, and that's the person on the fringes. They're the ones in the background just watching, and they're saying like, okay, is this Jesus thing okay? All right? They're the ones who are, um, they're sort of not certain of, what, of Christ and Christianity. Maybe they like Jesus, but not certain about Christians. You know, I love Christ, but I don't like Christians, is what they think. And you don't know by looking at people's faces where they're at. They could be on the fringes, or they could be in the inner circle. The point is, if those who are in the inner circle ought to realize and be sensitive, there, there may be people that God brings who are not, they're just starting to think about following Christ. They're just barely thinking, I think I might give this Jesus a chance. Or is he really who he says he is? Or, you know, can I really have my sins forgiven by this Jesus? And so they're really uncertain. And they're not Christians yet, but they're sort of heading in that direction. God forbid that we would say, you're over there and we're over here and there's a distinction. God forbid that 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 would happen because that might turn them off and turn them away from Christ. God forbid. Because you never know where a person is on their journey of faith, right? Where, the, where God has them on that, that walk. Gotta be sen- we have to be sensitive to that. I am praying. This is my prayer. I pray that God brings the craziest looking people in the world, the smelliest people in the world, the, the people who I've gone through and, and come in with 18, well, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I don't know about 18, but just, just not our type, let's say. Bring in the most radical looking people in the world who Jesus wants to save, right? I mean, just fill in it, put it in your mind's eye what that looks like, you know? Because Christ loves them too. I mean, he comes to, he goes to, he goes to some fishermen on the, on the Sea of Galilee and says, follow me, right? Fishermen. He doesn't go to seminary in Jerusalem and to the rabbi schools. He goes to fishermen, right, who smell like fish. They come home and their wives say, honey, you need to take a shower. You need to come in this house. And you know, can you imagine that? It's, that's the kind of person, he says, listen, you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And what's interesting, he doesn't say, follow me and I'll make you, I'll make you a chef. I love chefs, you know. Follow me and I'll make you a school teacher. I mean, he says, I'll make you still a fisher of men, which means you understand fishing. You understand that there's patience in catching somebody. You understand that sometimes you catch somebody and they smell. And how to deal with that, right? You, that comes with the territory. You know, it's like going for a, a you're going to study to be a, a doctor and you don't like blood. <laughs> you know? So Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What's my point? My point is, is that we want God to bring in anyone and let the Lord change. Their, it's the Lord's job to, to change a person's heart. It's the Lord's job to really, because sometimes we are like, okay, now, 
here, here, son, you, you come in here and, you, and you're not dressed right. Let's give you something to dress. And you smell, let's, yeah, let's help you out, but let's be careful. You know, let's keep, you should really look like this. And we cut their hair and we shave them. We all, we put them in our, our mold of what we think. Christ is more interested in their character than what they look like. He's more interested in what's in their heart than how that comes out. Does that make sense? So here Paul is dealing with that separation. Jew, Gentile, guy with dreadlocks, guy without, you know, guy with short hair like me, you know, whatever. God, Christ, uh, Paul is saying, you, there, you were different, but now you're going to be one. So this, there's that, that separation that was there. And as a church, we want to be the kind of church where people feel welcome. On the fringes or not on the fringes, we want to be a church where it's, okay, God, you know how to change a person, and it's, you are the Lord, you remember who's the Lord? Christ is the Lord, right? Amen. Christ is the Lord. He's the one. This is my this is my son. This is my daughter. And your job is to walk with them and, and love them and pray with them and just be with them. And I will change their lives. I will change them into my image, not your image for them. All right. So where was I at? Ephesians two. <clears throat> That's not in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's in my notes. <laughs> he is. Oh man, I've been praying for the I'm Lord, he knows my prayers. Okay, so we looked at last week I mentioned there's three words we're gonna look at. Separation is the first word, right? We talked about that last week. We sort of talked about the second word, which is reconciliation. Third word is unification. Separation, reconciliation. Unification. We sort of touched upon the second word. I'm going to readdress that and relook at that and develop it a little further. He says that you were at that time separate from Christ, verse 12, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and no God in the world. We looked at that last week. If you weren't here, you can listen to last week's sermon online. Verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, or both into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. The definition of peace here in in the book of Ephesians is bringing two people, two sides that were at odds together. That's what Paul says is the definition. That's what Paul is defining as peace. Peace, sometimes we think, you know, peace just means that, you know, nobody calls me, nobody texts me, nobody bugs me, you know, I sleep in and, and everything's okay. I'm just, you know, come on, a, a, a Saturday that you hope happens or a day where you, you're like, oh, nothing is going wrong, you know. That's peace to us. No, no, nothing. Here, peace is two groups that were at war and are brought together. He says in verse 14 that Christ is our peace. He himself is our peace. In fact, the Greek is emphatic. It says he himself, he, meaning Christ, is our peace. Christ is the one who brings people together. Do you know, you know, no offense to politicians, no politician will bring us peace. No law that you pass will bring peace. No committee that you join will bring peace. 
No amount of effort that you do will bring peace. Peace is only brought about by Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the author of peace. Peace is founded in Him. Now let's look at the second word I talked about, this reconciliation word. Um, I said there was the word katalasso uh, last time. It means exchange. To exchange hostility for friendliness. There's an exchange that happens. Um, he says, he says uh, in fact, it's, uh, it's a word that's used in Romans and 1 Corinthians. I want to just look for a couple of verses, you know, until... Uh, just to develop a point here. Romans 5, look there real fast, just to kind of show you some examples. Romans 5, Romans chapter 5. Is it a little warm in here, or is it just me? Okay, it's just me then. You guys are quiet. Romans 5, 10. I'm a fire. No, I'm just, it just feels warm up here. <laughs> For while we were enemies, we were, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The exchange was this, Christ, we're enemies, God exchanged Christ for us, we were reconciled to God. We were hostile to God, we were enemies, in fact, we were at war with God, you know that? Before before we were Christians, we were at war with God, we were enmity with God, we were hostile to God, and God was hostile. It was like, wait, if there's one person you want want to not be at war with, it's God. But thank the Lord that he sent Jesus Christ to bring peace. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look there. Uh, in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 5. Oh, oh, I made this mistake last time. 2 Corinthians. See, it's like deja vu. You guys remember this, right? 2 Corinthians. We're just getting warmed up, okay? Just, I'm just getting warmed up. So it takes me a little bit for my, uh, my juices to flow here. But 2 Corinthians 5. Um, 18 says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I want you to... We're going to go back to this verse later on today because it's a key verse. It's going to fit in with what we're going to do tonight in Ephesians. So just remember that, okay? So Paul says there's reconciliation. There's this exchange. Uh, Two sides are at war, and then there's exchange to bring peace. Go back to Ephesians. He says that, he says that, and back in Ephesians 2, But now in Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In the Old Testament, Gentiles were described as those who were far off. Israel was described as those who were near. Um, the idea of, being, of those who were far off and brought near was, was the idea of bringing in somebody who was a Gentile into knowing, into knowing God as a proselyte. Um, we have been brought near by God, been brought near to Christ by the Father or by the sacrifice of Christ. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the dividing wall, the barrier of the dividing wall. What is he talking about there? Okay. 
So in, Paul is thinking of something, and we think, there's a couple ideas of what we think this is. In the temple square, in the temple courts, there was an outer court, the court of the Gentiles. We talked about this last week. You had, the court, you had this, and I wish I, I didn't have a chance to put a picture into the, into the software t- uh, today. We had some software problems before. But on the Temple Mount, there was a court, and basically it had an outer area, then you had a wall. You had about four and a half fi- high feet wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Israelites. Then you had the, holy, the, whole, the, the, the temple itself and the holy place, holy of holies. We talked about this last week. We think that that dividing wall was this wall he's referring to. Okay? Now, I want to develop this a little bit because there's some interesting things here. This wall, if you were a Gentile and you went to go worship God, and let's say you made the trek from, you know, I don't know, some place far away, like Snowflake or something, you know. You made the trek, and you got all the way to get to the temple. You got to that wall, and that's as far as you can get. In fact, there was warnings in several places. There was warnings that said, if you cross, if you're a Gentile, and you cross past this point, you will have yourself to blame for your death. Uh, they found uh, inscriptions in, I think, 1930s and 1950s or something like that that talked about this. I had a picture I didn't put up. Next time I will. And so if you're a Gentile, you can only get so far. You've come all this way to worship God. And you're limited in how far you can get. You stop here, but once... In fact, the reason why Paul is... Paul is running from prison right here. You know that? And the reason why he's thrown into prison is because they thought, the Jews thought that he brought a Gentile across this line. You know that? That's why they threw him in the prison. He's, uh, they threw him in the prison because they thought, they assumed that he, he brought a Gentile across that, that wall. Okay? So you had this wall here, this wall that separated. But then if you're a Jewish believer, you also had another wall. That wall was over here. The veil. So you can only get so far. So you may be looking down at them and say, yeah, you can't get that far. Da, 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 you, know, you can get that close to God. You know, and, and then right here, you turn around like smack, and of course, you're, you can't get close to God either. So what Paul is saying here, first of all, there's a veil. There's, a, there's something that's stopping you from getting close to God. So Jesus Christ takes care of both as he dies on the cross, as he sheds the blood. We think he's referring to that wall, but he's like, okay, so he's destroyed this wall, but the wall, he's using this as a metaphor. So the, so the question is, well, what is he metaphoring about? One idea is, so what exactly does this wall stand, stand for? One thought is that perhaps this wall the wall down here, let's say, is a wall that, uh, the barrier that, uh, of the law. That the law keeps Gentiles from going past and approaching God, okay? So that Christ then destroyed or abolished the law. In fact, it says, um, go back to Ephesians, it says, he broke down the, the barrier of the dividing wall and by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So one idea is that perhaps this is the law, right? As Christians, we're not under the law. I'm going to develop this a little bit. I'm just going to lay some groundwork here, okay? So bear with me. I'm going somewhere. I am going somewhere with this. 
I promise. In fact, look at Colossians 1. Let's get a few verses here just to kind of explore this a little bit. Perhaps he's talking about the law. Colossians 1.22 says, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He, he referenced the same idea of Christ dying. Um, that he abolished it. And go back to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians. That he abolished in his flesh this enmity. Is he abolishing the law? The word abolish there means to make it ineffective, to render powerless or to nullify. Um, it's used figuratively with reference to nullifying the faithfulness of God. Or that God's promise is made ineffective or nullified, according to Galatians 3. Here it means that perhaps it means that Christ has made the law of no effect. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. I'm just going to develop, I'm just going to kind of, you'll see. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6 says, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that was referring to the letter of the law. Keep reading. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, what, that would be the Ten Commandments, came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more glorious? He's talking about if, if Moses was in receiving the Ten Commandments and being up with God for 40 days and 40 nights, comes down full of glory, right? He's, he's glowing, let's say. And that was, if that was glorious, he says the ministry of the Spirit will be even more glorious. Verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation, that's referring to the law, has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case is no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more than uh, that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who, put a, uh, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel will not look intently at the end of what was fading away. In other words, Moses was glorious, but that glory was fading away. The idea is that the law's glory would fade away and be replaced with something else. Okay? Um, and he talks about, he goes on uh, from there. So perhaps it's this idea of this law and the, the law was replaced. Maybe the law was nullified. Um, but look, at, look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because the question is this, is that why would God, the law was given by God, wasn't it? So if the wall here is the law, and then God just destroyed it, but God gave that law. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 8 says, I am not speaking things according to human judgment, am I? Or does the, not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, 
You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God is not concerned about ox. What is he, what's he talking about here? He says that this law, is for the, this law is written for the believer. Yes, it is written for our sake. It's written. The law is written for us. But my point is going to be this, is that perhaps this law that Christ nullified, or this wall that Christ nullified was the law of Moses. But we have to be careful because God even says that his, Paul says that his law is good. The law was given by God. If, look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. In fact, many of the New Testament commands uh, and demands of unbelievers are based on Old Testament law. Um, Romans chapter 7. Again, I'm just still developing a major point here, so just, just bear with me, okay? You guys good? All right, just making sure because, you know, just making sure. Verse 22, it says, uh, or verse 21 and 22, it says, For I find that the principle of evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making a prisoner of the law of sin, which is my members. He says, the law is good. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So then on the one hand, I myself in my mind am serving the law of God, but my flesh is serving the law of sin. So we have to be careful saying God's law was, 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 was bad. Uh, chapter 8, verse 7. I think it was, it's the same idea. Um, go to um, chapter 7. Go back a few pages. Chapter 7. Chapter 7. Or one page, whatever. Verse 12. Um, he says, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it may be shown by... My, my point is, is that if... A lot of scholars, I think, that this wall is the law of Moses. And the law of Moses kept the Gentiles. But that doesn't make sense. Because God doesn't abolish the law of Moses. Jesus even says, not one jot or tittle will be done away with. He says on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5. He says, uh, he says um, in fact, he says that in Matthew 5.17, I think it is. Go back to Matthew 5.17. I'm taking guys on a journey. I apologize, but I'm going somewhere with this, okay? <laughs> Bear with me. Do not think I come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall be passed from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Christ says that the law is good. He says, I'm not going to do away with it. I'm not abolishing it. So what is Paul talking about? If this wall is not this wall is not the law of Moses per se, what exactly is it? Go back to Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. Because it's not the law itself that is the problem. We've already and there's probably a lot of more verses I could have given to you guys, but for the sake of time I did not. God's law is good, right? Amen. God's law is, is righteous. It's holy. Go back to Ephesians. In verse... Um, 
But now, uh, or, I'm sorry, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier wall, the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments and ordinances. The problem wasn't the law, and the problem never is the law. The problem is, okay, so let's think about this. If I'm a Gentile and I cross over that bridge, or if I, let's say, let's, if, if I may, if I may, um, if, if I cross, if I, if I cross the line God says don't cross, what am I now? I, what's that? I trespassed, Right? So now that I trespass that, that law, now what is the law to me? It condemns me. What Paul is going to argue, I believe, my opinion, is in, it's not the law in itself that, that Christ came to abolish. It was the, the condemnation of the law that those of us who've crossed the line were under. Christ doesn't say, I came to abolish the law and say, in throw it away, but I came to do something about the condemnation of those who crossed that line. Does that make sense? That's why it says in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? But you know what's interesting? Do you know that, and I didn't put the scriptures down, but do you know that that um, Nowhere in the Old Testament does it describe, as far as, as far as my memory serves me correctly, in the description of, of, of Moses building the tabernacle, does it have an area for the core of the Gentiles? In other words, the wall that kept the Gentiles away was not dictated by God. God doesn't say, I mean, he'll, he'll describe the temple in Ezekiel, I believe, that has a core, or Revelation 2. But the one we're talking about really wasn't given by God. If I remember correctly, there isn't hate. Now, here's a description of what you build for the Gentiles to come. Because that destroys the whole point. They were supposed to be a people, a light for the nations, right? So that Jew and Gentile can come and learn of God. What happened was, after the exile, they got very strict on who... They didn't want to have the influence of, of they said... You Gentiles are a bad influence. We don't want to have your influence. You stay far away. Oh, don't touch us. Right? Paul addresses that in the first section. You, you were the circumcised. You call them uncircumcised, and you're like looking down on them. That wall is man-made. In fact, now, I wish I had a table there, but I don't. In fact, I'm, oh boy, I hope I do this justice, because... Uh, I took time to wrap these up, so um, pardon my illustration here. Um, so, oh, I got a pen here. So, Christ came to abolish or to do away with the condemnation of the law. He came, to, he came to do away with it. In fact, besides Roman 8, Roman, Rome, Romans, 
8, verse 1, there's another verse in Romans 6. I'll just read it to you. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, but for you are not under law, but under grace. There's no condemnation for the Christian. Our condemnation has been paid for. This is what he's talking about. The condemnation of the law has been paid for. So let's imagine... Let's imagine... Let's move some furniture on here. And bear with me, because if it was up to me, I would have... I would have bricks, but I don't have bricks. I don't have the car room to put bricks in my car. And I'll give you five dollars if you can guess what these are, but I won't tell you right now. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I did. Man, you can smell it from here. Okay. So, so here's what Paul is going to do. Okay. Remember, Paul's point is this. In one sense, there's reconciliation between God and man, right? Christ has died. That veil is gone away. This wall, the condemnation across the wall is gone away. You know, by the way, the actual wasn't destroyed until 70 AD. So it was still existent, so that's why he's using this as a metaphor, okay? But this wall is destroyed where you can go across... You're all near to God, right? But for some people, this wall still exists. Now, I wish it didn't smell like Irish Spring because it smells nice and pretty. For some people, this wall still exists. And this is a wall <clears throat> where you keep people out. Well, let's do this. Let's maximize our space. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, bear with me here. I haven't played blocks in a while, but... This wall... We talked about this last week. Some people have walls that are like three feet thick and ten feet high. And some people have electric fences. And don't you dare go near them because you'll get shocked if you even brush aside next to them. Okay, man, help me build a wall. You guys following along? Okay, let's fortify this wall here. Oh, yeah. Okay, so here's my wall. Okay. So Paul is saying, in one sense, this wall, there's a wall that has been destroyed. The condemnation of crossing that wall has been destroyed. But for some people, there's a wall still within our hearts. Because not is it Jew and Gentile, or Jew and Gentile, um, it's husband and wife. It's father and daughter, father and son, brother and sister that are there. And what's interesting is, is according to Paul, this wall has been taken care of by Christ as well as that wall. In other words, the wall between people is... What makes us all... Okay, let's, let's think about this. In his... Here you have Jew, here you have Gentile, right? But in Christ, you're on the same level, right? 
That's why as a church, you can have those who are different backgrounds call each other brother. Tom, what, what nationality? What, what's your nationality? Irish, Scottish. I have some Irish in me. Maybe we're Londonians, cousins. You know, Jesse, Mexican. I got no Mexican in me. But guess what? I call you brother. Okay, I'm a sister. We're not blood related at all. But in Christ, we're all a family, right? That's what that's what makes it powerful. Now. Sometimes those of us who come to Christ still carry walls in our hearts. Because for whatever reason, and I'm going to say, if you have a pen, you have a pen. Well, oh, I got a pen. So here's what happens. And this is where I just, because Paul's whole point is that Christ is our peace. Christ is the one who brings us together, right? And, it's, and of course, yes, we know that's true of us and God, Right? But now he's talking to people. He says, Jew, Gentile, you guys are opposite sides, you're warring. Guess what? In Christ, you're all one. Now let's deal with this. There's one thing to say, yeah, we're Christians, but I'm sitting over here and you're sitting over here. I'm not talking to you, I'm not talking to you, right? It's one thing to say, yeah, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're Christians, but at the same time, uh, there's something between us, right? So here's what happens. Just like this wall, this wall right here is man-made, not given by man, or not given by God, but given by man. These walls are man-made as well. What are these walls? Well, I don't know. Um, this does not write. It passed. It's condemned to up there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, son. Okay, so let's see here. Here's what happens. This wall, you know, walls get built piece by piece and over time. You can be married for 20 years and your spouse is building a wall that you don't know about. Or you're not really certain. You, you can sort of sense that there's something here, but then it hits you like a ton of bricks, no pun intended. But there's, over time, there's, there's things being laid, okay? Okay, let's pick one. Um, oh, you did not do the dishes. This is really, that's kind of lame, isn't it? You didn't do the dishes. That's bad. I know somebody who um, I know somebody who uh, whose previous wife uh, wouldn't talk to him for days because he actually left a dish in the sink. Hello. The husband left a dish in the sink, and she wouldn't talk to him for days. I don't know what kind of wall she had, but that was her thing. Um, you help me out here. Give me a specific one. What's that? You didn't make the bed. You didn't make the bed. Okay, and these are lame, right? Dishes in bed, you know, right? We think you're not doing enough. You aren't here. You're not here, right? You're always out golfing or fishing or hiking, and you're out with you're out at work all the time. Now, these are lame ones, right? Let's get some serious ones. Give me another brick. What's that? You spent too much money. Honey, we are on a limited budget. Now, um, here's what happens. Now, these are, these are subtle, right? These aren't like really big, serious ones, like, like you yelled at me or hit me or something like that. These are subtle ones. Do you know even the subtle ones? 
No. They still, they still get laid in the foundation there, right? They still, they still get kind of... Give me another one. Lie to me. Liar. Guess what happens? If you lie to me one time, you're always a liar, right? You lied to me. You cheated on me. You... Uh, how about um, now? Let me just. Nothing I say is directed towards my wife. Okay. Just this. Let's just. Let's just. Let's just. Um, fine print there, right? I'm just using illustration. I work all day, and I come home. And how come the house is not clean? What do you do all day? Aren't you busy? You know, da-da-da. You aren't doing enough. Now, that may be a wall from one standpoint, but now it's a hurt and a wound in the other person's standpoint. And guess what that is? That's another brick in the wall, too. You didn't treat me nicely. You don't pray enough. How come I don't see you reading your Bible? Spiritual. Do you know every single one of these so far has been what? It's been what? Well, before that. You're jumping out in here. Just, you're right. But every single one of these is our law or our expectation on the other person. You don't meet my expectations. You and guess what happens? Is that before you know it, here's a person, here's a man. He's gone through relationships. He meets a woman who hasn't. Guess what? He carries a wall without realizing it. She says something. Guess what it does? Oh, it reminds him of one of the bricks in his wall. And he reacts. Now, watch this. Does this make sense? Okay, so what did it, Paul says that Christ took care of the condemnation of the law, right? Of God's law. And God's law is higher than your law. See, it's one thing to have expectations on people and your wife that are sometimes are unreasonable. Honey, you should be doing this, that, and the other, and if you don't, then you're in the doghouse. Or, honey, if you don't do this, you're sleeping on the couch, right? How come... How, I can just think of a whole lot of examples. I'm, I'm just gonna, not going to go there. But the point is this. Is that every single one of these can be unmet expectations, can be a hurt, can be a failure on somebody to do something you want to do, and you build a wall. And what happens then? is now there's, there's something between you and the other person. I'm thinking of husband and wife, but there could be brother and sister or other relationships where that wall is built. And then let's say, let's go to Christ. Let's go to, or let's, go to, let's go to church together. And we're worshiping God. And there's a wall next to us, right? Between us and our spouse. And we're worshiping God. And there's a wall. How does, how does that happen? So what does God say? God says, first of all, Christ is taking care. If Christ is taking care of the actual wall, He's taking care of this. So, what do you? What's the solution? And I'm 
I'm okay on time? So yeah, it is soap. So each one of these, guess what? Ha guess what? Oh, it's clean. It's what? It's soap inside. What does the soap illustrate? It has been cleansed by Christ, but the key to freedom is you have to take that cleansing and say, I forgive this person. There. Oh man, my wall, my wall is terrible illustration, right? This wall has been, this issue is, so every single point of this wall, not enough money. You spend, honey, you're terrible at spending money. This, I, there's, 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 you know, there's not enough money in the bank and, and, uh, and uh, you're spending money and, and we know the money's tight and we have to be responsible and, and you sign up the kids for what? For, for, for another class and we can't afford that and honey, don't you realize that my job is, is coming back and, and so what happens is this. If Christ is forgiven, the question is this, what will we do with it? If we apply forgiveness, it cleanses. Does that make sense? Is any of this making sense? Paul's whole point is this, is that if it was good enough for God to cleanse, why not for us? Now, some people do this. They carry their, their bricks wherever they go. Right? They carry it wherever they go. And they're a wounded soul. And if and wherever they go, now this is, now they, just imagine this is real bricks, let's say. But wherever they go, there's that, there's that thing in their heart. Whoever they meet, could be the nicest person in the world. I just met this nice, nice young lady here, and, I do, and, I, and I'm carrying my wall. And I, and I, and, and I, and I might react the same way, because my wall is still here. Because I'm still carrying these things. Does that make sense? What God wants to do is say, I want to take care of each one, but you've got to acknowledge that I cleansed it. Does that make sense? I'm going to smell like soap the rest of the night. Man, here, can you smell it? It is Irish wing. How did you know? Because you smell <laughs> So Paul says that Christ, go back to Ephesians, wherever Ephesians is at. Here we go. That Christ abolished in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments and ordinances, so that in himself he might, the, might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. They were at odds, now they're at peace. We were at odds with God, now we have peace of God, or peace with God and peace of God as well. We have peace with God. He says, now, you Jew and Gentile, you two sides who are opposite, there is a way of having peace, and that's in Christ. Christ is the foundation of peace. Christ is the one who, listen, who's the one who can change people's hearts? Who's the one who really can take down the wall of people's hearts? But Christ, right? It's not a self-help thing. It's, it's Christ. It's like, God, I have this in my heart. Can you deal with this in my heart? I'm realizing that I have some hardness in my heart. Can you please take this away? Can you help me forgive this person? Can you help me let it go, Right? You, you take it away, right? That's Christ's job. That's something that can't happen by reading a book or going and watching Oprah on TV or Dr. Phil or anything else. It is Christ. He is, the, he is the person who brings peace. He's the one who makes two sides into one. I'm, I'm thinking of an example right here. Um, um, a mentor of ours, 
he's with the Lord uh, now. He, um, he was a, a, a missionary to, to New Guinea. They had, head, they had headhunters, right? And they were cannibalists and all this kind of stuff, right? And we, used to, we were watching video, and this is back in the 60s they were there, I think it was. I mean, you're talking like, you know, grass skirts and everything else and headhunters and cannibalism. And, they're, they, and they had these, there was this one video where they're showing these tribes, right? They're sitting next to each other. Their faces are painted, you know, and it's kind of grainy. And, and, and our friend was like, this is a communion service. These are believers, you see those two men in the middle? They're like the chiefs. But before they were believers, their, their tribes would fight against each other. And now they're sitting as fellow Christians, as brothers in Christ, about to take communion with one another. That's the power of the gospel. Change their hearts into now sitting together as one. That's what Paul says here, is the goal really is unity. That as a body of Christ... We are to be one. There may be come up issues where friends here in this room aren't talking to one another because somebody said something that was misunderstood by the other person. Now there's tension, the division, there's, there's an awkwardness, right? Paul says, let's deal with that. Don't let your wall build up. Deal with it, right? Deal with it when it, when it happens. Call the person up. Hey, I think we're, let's talk, right? Um, Christ came that he might say self make uh, the two into one new man, establishing peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by putting to death the enmity. The condemnation that was there was put to death on the cross. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. I kind of cringe at that because think about our families. Think about our household, right? How many of you guys like the holidays? How many of you guys at the holidays it's kind of weird and awkward? Are we kind of like, how do we deal with uncle so-and-so and cousin so-and-so and and who is going to be offended if we go to this person's house but not that person's house, right? How many of you guys have those debates? Christmas Eve is with this side and Christmas Day is with this side. And then this year, last year we were with this, you know. You go through those, all those gymnastics, right? Thank God as believers, we don't have to worry about that, right? Because we are on this, we're, on this, there's no, we're on the same level, right? God is making us into a household. You have, yes, those those people that come in that are new in Christ, they're not, not quite it, but God is developing and building us into his household. It is from one temple that's man-made, Herod's temple, of the temple of there, to a temple of the body of Christ, where God himself is dwelling in, in, in this kind of temple, this kind of temple. Having built, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole body, the whole building is being fitted together and is growing into a holy temple in the Spirit and the Lord in whom we are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. What begins as a work of man, circumcision or non-circumcision, ends with the work of the Spirit of God that brings unity into body, and it's a work. this is a work of God. What God will do within our church will be a work of God, right? A work of the Spirit. It won't be a work of, of, of our efforts. We pray, right? We pray that God will bring the people into our body, into our little fellowship here, that he wants to bring and bring it to one, right? 
it will be work of His Spirit. The work He wants to do in our heart will be work of His Spirit. Not by us trying or us manipulating and, and figuring out, you know, and does that make sense? And, and trying to, to coerce and, and to force. It's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. And that will bring Him glory because He is the one who knows how to fit the right pieces at the right place, right? At the right situations. All for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you, Lord, you are building a church, Lord, a, a body of believers that is going to bring you glory. You are building a body that, that, that you want us to be one and unified and reconciled. And Father, I pray right now, Lord, that if there's walls that are causing division, in fact, Lord, let me just... Let me just stop right here, guys. I just thought of something. It was reminded. Some, sometimes you say, John, my, I have, there's a separation between me and my spouse or between me and somebody I love. What do I do? Well, you don't try to knock down that wall. Here's what you do. Is you look to God. In other words, you can't change your husband. You can't change your wife. You can't change fill in the blank, right? That's God's job. And for things to change, you focus on Christ. You draw near to Christ. Let them draw near to Christ on their own. Let the Lord deal with them on their own. But you focus on Christ because guess what? You're not their fixer. Christ is, right? Amen. You're, in there, you're not the Messiah. Christ is. It is not your job to try to do God's work. Now, God might use you, but it, that's, that's, uh, that, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. You draw near to God and keep your face towards God and, and, and draw near to Him, to Jesus, and let the Lord worry about this other person here. I've gone too long. Let's pray. Again, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray your blessing. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a song. Yes, a question? Oh, buzzing sound. I don't know. Oh, it's air conditioning stuff. Good question, son.